welcome, and thank you for joining us today for the teaching and preaching ministry from Central Baptist Church, Kannapolis, North Carolina. As senior pastor, Dean Hunter shares from the Bible how to live in a fallen world. The goal of Central Baptist Church is to change the world by teaching the Word of God. Come, let's listen in. If you have a Bible, we're in John chapter number three. We were there last week, we're there again, and um, chances are we'll be there next week as well. John chapter three, one of the great chapters of the Gospels. Today we will be in a verse that's familiar, probably the most familiar verse of the Bible in the entire world. Last week, we um, looked at the first few verses of John chapter 3. Today, we'll be in John 3, starting with verse number 9. I'm going to start reading with verse 9. If you want to stand as we honor God's perfect, holy word. This is a response to the conversation that we started last week between Jesus and Nicodemus. A man of the law, a teacher of the law. The Bible is pretty clear that he was the teacher of Israel. He was the go-to man. Jesus said, you got to be born again. And then Nicodemus was a little confused. That's your review. Verse 9. Nicodemus answered and said to Jesus, how can these things be? And Jesus answered and said unto him, are you a master of Israel or teacher of Israel and don't know these things? Verily, verily, truly I say unto you, we speak that we know. Jesus said, we're speaking, me and the disciples, we're speaking what we know and testify that what we have seen and you receive not our witness. Kind of interesting there. I'm not going to preach about that. But Jesus is saying, I've seen it. I'm a witness. It's not hearsay. And I don't know if that strikes you as somewhat ironic, but Jesus is saying, Nobody told me this. I, I know this. I've witnessed it. But you yet receive not our witness. And he says, if I've told you earthly things and you believe not, how shall you receive or believe if I tell you heavenly things? It's a big issue today in our world and our culture. Jesus says, no man has ascended up to heaven, but he that comes down or came down from heaven, even the son of man which is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. How many times have we quoted that verse? Can you imagine Jesus quoting this verse. This is his verse. You imagine Jesus, the son of God, who is there to do good and to heal and to teach and preach the gospel, knowing that he's headed to the cross to be the gift of God, saying, God loved the world so much that he sent his only begotten son. That's why I'm here. That whoever believes in me, in him, should not perish, but have everlasting life. I love the next verse, and many times we forget it. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, 
but that the world through him might be saved. I'm going to stop there because I'll keep talking. Father, thank you for your word. I pray this verse is not just so familiar that we miss why it's in our Bible. And I pray for that person that's here, maybe a person watching or hearing this message later that they've never been born again, they've never been saved, they would see that it is possible. God's desire is for them to know him, to know you through your son, and that you love us You didn't come to condemn, but you came to save. That person may be saved today. We ask this in your son Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, you may be seated. Last week I preached this title, You Must Be Born Again, and today, you can be born again. You can be born again, and from the very beginning, I wanna say this, God is a God of grace, mercy, and love. And we see this in this passage. But I want to take it maybe a step back or further, however you want to say. That it's just like God and his grace and his mercy to say you must be born again, but to make a way for you to be born again. There's a lot in this passage of scripture, and matter of fact, in John's writing in 1 John and here in John 3 that's a little controversial to some. Matter of fact, John's gospel is controversial to the world. John's the guy who quotes Jesus saying, I'm the only way to heaven. If you're gonna see God, you gotta go through me. I'm not sure if you've found out that's controversial today. And John's pretty straightforward with that. But when we see this passage, and and really this is something I want us to understand as believers, and certainly if you're lost, you've never been born again, that you see the grace, mercy, and love of God. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but if we're not careful, we as a church, many times preachers, I'm I'm already nervous to say this, will preach a very angry God. Now, God is a God of wrath. God is a God of judgment. One day, the world will be judged. And we'll get there in a second. Not, hopefully not, it's coming in a second. But it might happen. But in the scripture, we may get there in a second. Some of you are like, oh, does he know something? I don't know. It didn't come out come right. But I believe when we see Jesus in John 3 with Nicodemus, this religious know-it-all, how gracious and loving and kind Jesus is. Now, some of you have read this already, and you're like, verse 10 seems a little like Jesus is being mean to this guy. Well, if you know Jesus, like I know him, he's not mean. He's not being sarcastic. He says, how are you, are you a master of Israel and you don't know these things? This is 
this is, you have to trust me, this is 15 minutes of preaching, I'm gonna save you. If you just like look like you understand and go ahead, brother, I don't care. Jesus is trying to connect the dots for this very religious guy who cannot understand spiritual things. The, the entire Old Testament is about Jesus. The Jews that are not Messianic Jews have missed it, but it's there. Come on Wednesday nights, we've been through Romans and Paul's saying, how can you miss this? It's here. It's not just history. It's his story. It's about him. But Nicodemus is so religious and so scholastic that he misses when the Old Testament talks about the, the necessity for cleansing. That it's, I got to cleanse my hands physically. Missing. And he understood that it was a spiritual application to the law and the necessity of priests and things like that. But he's missing the message that it has to do with spiritual cleansing. That you must be reborn. Nicodemus is not slow. He's a, he's a smart guy. But there's a lot of smart people. There's a lot of very intelligent people. There's a lot of academics that cannot connect the dots for their need, the necessity for spiritual rebirth and cleansing. Nicodemus is a picture of somewhat the modern Jew, and I'm not here to talk about that. We've talked about that a lot on Wednesday nights. Who They're so religious. They're, they have a zeal for God, Paul said in Romans, but not unto knowledge. They have a zeal for God. They want to serve God, but they, it's, it's, it's zealousness based on ignorance or lack of knowledge of the word of God and the truth of God's word. And, and don't let me fool you that we're not just talking about the Jews. We're talking about religious people that are in church Sunday after Sunday. And they've been convinced that if I just go through the religious ceremony of religion, God will somehow be all right with that. When scripture is very clear, that is not the case at all. So God in his grace and in his mercy is what I want us to see, teaches Nicodemus. He's trying to, well, he's, I don't think Jesus ever tried it. I think he's good at what he does. And now we see this kind of scripture unfold. Jesus says, I'm a testimony. I've seen it. I'm not telling you something I heard from somebody else. The Old Testament had taught the need for spiritual cleansing, but people like Nicodemus missed it because their re religion. And I can't overstate how this is happening today. We talk about, even in our Sunday school lesson, we're false teachers, false prophets, false religions. And what a tragedy that it's happening in so-called Christian churches today to we preach such a soft, watered-down gospel, diluted gospel, which is not the gospel at all, to appease people, to keep people sitting in pews, donating their money, checking off their religious boxes. Jesus knew this was a hindrance to Nicodemus. 
<clears throat> understanding and believing. So he teaches him heavenly things in a way he can understand. So let's look first at the message that Jesus gives, the message of eternal life. In verse 13, he says, and no man has ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the son of man, which is in heaven. The reality of the message of eternal life is that Jesus came down. Now don't, don't miss this. It's in there and don't miss this. Jesus came to earth. Jesus tells Nicodemus, there's no one who ascended up to heaven to gain some type of knowledge other than Jesus who came from heaven and ascended back to heaven. You get that? You don't have to study very far religions today and find out there are some people that got special knowledge from God. Now, they might not say they took a one-way trip to heaven and got it from God, but they say, and their religion is built on, special knowledge from God. Do y'all believe me, or do I need to call them out? Right? At least the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Their whole extra-biblical text is based on a vision from God where God gave scholastic material to a man who happened to be a teenager in the woods and said, write this, I'm not finished. That, that's really how this happened. Nobody, Jesus says nobody came to heaven to get this knowledge. Only the son of man which is in heaven who came down from heaven. And he says, you're looking at him. And the reality of the gospel, the, the gospel of the message of eternal life is that Jesus came down. Just a few weeks, let's call it weeks, since all of our Christmas decorations are up. We'll celebrate the incarnation of Jesus. God in the flesh. I hope you see this. There's a, there's a message within the message here of all the religions where man tries his best, tries her best to appease God by coming to God. Only in Christianity does God see man's need and send himself to man. Grace, mercy, love. He came to me when I could not go to where he was. Squire Parson says, he came to me. That's why I died on Calvary. That's the God of love, mercy, and grace who saw man in need and said, I will take care of his need. He came down. Nobody else has ever done that. No other religion teaches that any of their leaders has done that. And Jesus says, nobody but me. I was with the Father. I came down and I went back up. He came down to you, to me. It's a good time for a little five-minute mini Christmas sermon right now, right? That the king of kings, the ruler of heaven, the son of God, came to this messed up world, sin-cursed world, as a baby, affected by humanity, affected by sinful humanity, wrapped in swaddling clothes, poor, messed up family. You don't believe that. I, I heard some people talking about them. 
That's the king of kings. The savior came here for you and for me. The message of the gospel is God loved the world so much he came to us in the form of Jesus. God in the flesh. The second part of this message of eternal life is not only that he came down, but it's really the most fun part, if we're being honest, of Jesus' message to Nicodemus. Not only did Jesus come down, but he must be lifted up. Jesus must be lifted up. Now he's making the connection. Nicodemus knows the Old Testament. He knows the law. And he says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You don't have to turn there, but Numbers chapter 21, I'm going to read verses 5 through 9. I hope you know this historical account, because it's one of my favorites. Kind of, but kind of not, if you know me. And there's actually a message of leadership in this, but we're not here to preach that today. Numbers 21, verses 5 through 9, God's called Moses, he's leading the people out of the wilderness or into the promised land. And like good Baptists, they complain. They grumble. They're never satisfied. Not our church. I've heard that about other churches. Our church is perfect. See, you didn't know it. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. That's a no-no, by the way. Wherefore have you brought us? Why did you bring us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there's no bread, lie, you just didn't like it. Neither is there any water. Lie. You got it out of a rock, miraculously. And our soul hates, loathes this light bread. I love that verse. I love this verse, and I can't not talk about it. <laughs> they say, we got no bread, and we hate this bread. Did you hear that? <laughs> Both can't be true. You can hate the bread and have the bread, but you can't hate the bread and not have bread. God said, no, the Lord sent fiery serpents, poisonous serpents. That's a snake. Among the people, and they bit the people. And much people of Israel died. Therefore, the people came to Moses. The same person they were complaining to a second ago. And said... Pray unto the Lord that he take away these snakes from us. Serpents just sounds a little too nice. Snakes from us. And Moses, like a good leader, there's the leadership principle in sermon, prayed for them. He didn't say, it's what you get. Quit that whining. He prayed for them. He really did pray for them. And, and y'all may not appreciate this, but this this is a sermon to me, and it has been for years. Be more like Moses. I'm serious. I'm trying to be serious here. You were just fussing at me. I'm trying to follow God. I don't like being out here no more than you do. Moses could have said, I'm just as thirsty as you. I don't really care for this bread either, but it's at least bread. I'm just trying to follow God. And, I, and he told me to tell y'all to follow me. And y'all keep whining and griping and complaining. I ain't praying for you. 
It's not what he said, right? They asked, will you pray unto the Lord to take away these serpents? And Moses prayed for the people. And he got an answer. And the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent, make a snake, put it on a pole, and it shall come to pass that everyone that is bitten, when he looks upon it, shall live. Moses made a serpent of brass, put it on a pole. Word there is banner. And it came to pass, if that serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld the serpent, when he looked to the brass serpent on the pole, he lived. So much. I hope you can appreciate how I've got to finish, and I've got several more points. Moses prayed for the people, and God, in his grace, in his mercy, in his patience, made a way for them to live. Now, most of you have been in church long enough, I don't need to break this whole story down for you. But the snakes represent sin. And sin leads to death. The wages of sin is death, the Bible says. But the gift of God is eternal life. And in the same way, snakes represent sin and rebellion against God. Ultimately, and this is the, ultimately when you rebel against God's leader, you're rebelling against God. And they're rebelling. They're sinning. God knows what's best for them. He's calling them to a land that he's promised. If you just hang on, anybody following the message there? You just hang on, you'll get there. Some, some of you are not following. He's promised a land one day a promise. But while we're here, there's some sin. There's some snakes. And they bite. And you will die from that sin. But God in his grace and his mercy has made a way for you to make it there without dying spiritually. Now what's crazy about this is, and I, I love this because I've been in church a while, uh, the, the thought that I hear resonating in the back of my mind when I hear this, I wish it was in Scripture, but it's not. It's somebody saying, well, you've never done that before. <laughs> or, that's crazy. I ain't looking at it. All right. Y'all follow me? Everybody? Can you imagine these snakes are biting and friends and family are dying all around them, literally dying from these snake bites. The ones that haven't are praying, help us, Moses. Moses prays to God and God said, here's the answer. Now, I can't help but giggle on the inside of this because now I see Moses coming out with this pole and a brass snake on it. Now, keep, it, keep in mind, uh, you can like this or not like it, this word there means pole banner. If you look it up, it's, it's kind of similar to the banner stands behind these banners. If you were to take the banner off, you can almost see it through that one. Oddly enough, it says Jesus. I didn't even think about this, but it's working out. And it looks like a cross. It's, it's a T. It's a cross. And so this pole banner has a snake on it. And the man of God with the message of God says... God said, you get bit, 
Look at this, and you'll live. He didn't say casually glance. He's saying, look at this. And there's somebody saying, that's ridiculous. That's crazy. And they got bit, and they died. I want you to understand this. These people looked after they were bitten. Every person in this room and every person on this planet has been bitten by the snake or serpent of sin. Paul says we're born into sin. As one man, sin entered into the earth in Adam and death passed upon all men for all have sinned. Everybody's been bitten. And these people were bitten and then they looked. There was no, this, there was no need to look unless you'd been bitten. Once they were bitten, if they looked, there was nothing in this banner. It was the faith in the message of the banner. And certainly they had never seen anything like this before. That's crazy, Moses. And today we go around and we preach a gospel that Jesus is on a cross dying in your place, taking on your sin, being the sacrifice for the sin of the world. And there's people that say that's foolish because the message of the cross is foolish to them. Who don't believe but those of us who've looked to the banner those of us who have looked to the cross and received everlasting life no it's not foolish to us so he says lift it up look at it and you'll live and it's a perfect connection should be to Nicodemus of who Jesus is talking about what Jesus is talking about and Paul said, he who knew no sin became sin for us. It's a picture. It's not just a snake on a pole or a snake on a banner or a snake on a cross. It's sin on a cross. And he who knew no sin became sin for us. It's Jesus on the cross. If you look in faith to Jesus on the cross, the sacrifice for sin, God becoming sin for you. If you look, you live. Peter said, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness by whose stripes we are healed. God's gift to those who had sinned was a snake on a pole. Foolish to them who don't believe. But the promise is, if you look by faith, you'll live. It's obvious the message. If you're here today and you've never looked to Jesus on the cross, if you've never looked to sin dying on the cross, if you've never looked to Jesus taking your place on the cross for your salvation, then you've never been saved. Because you are born into sin. And every person living has been bitten by the sting of sin. And every person, unless they look in faith, will die, not just physically, but spiritually as a result from sin. If you've ever been saved, you look to him. You look to the cross. You looked to the serpent 
You look to sin. You look to Jesus as a banner. Somebody ought to write a song about that banner, but probably they have. That's what we look at. That's the banner we raise. That's the message we teach and preach is look to him. If they see anything in this church, out of all we do, if the world sees anything, they better see Jesus lifted high on a banner. Because he said, if I be lifted up in John chapter 12, I will draw all men to me. Church can draw a lot of men and women to the church house. Somebody say amen. We can get people here, right? Give something away. People show up. Have a show for free. They'll show up. And I'm not opposed to having free shows for people to show up, depending on what the show is. But when they get here, we better lift up Jesus. 900 plus people are going to come on the campus in just a few weeks. And if all we did was pass out toys and say, Merry Christmas, it would be a flop and a failure in the eyes of God. But I promise you, every person that comes through, unless they sneak around somewhere and we lose them, they're going to come into this building and there's going to be a gospel presentation and Jesus will be lifted up. And they will be told, you've got to look to him to be saved. Because that's what we do. We lift him up. In the year of 1850, some of you remember that maybe, I don't know. <laughs> there was a snowstorm in the city of Colchester, England. Teenage boy who normally went to church was snowed in, and he ended up going to this Methodist church. This teenage boy was struggling with his salvation. He wasn't certain that he was saved. He was convicted. He was in anguish, as many people are when they're really not sure about their salvation. Teenage boy goes to this Methodist church, and the pastor was not there, so there was a layman preaching that day. And the story goes that he wasn't well prepared. He wasn't, he wasn't the preacher. But he was preaching Isaiah 45, 22, where the prophet Isaiah says, look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth. This teenager who for months had been under conviction, wondering, wanting to know, sitting there. And they said the layman was so unprepared, all he kept saying or all this guy kept hearing was, look to me, look to me and be saved. He looked down, the layman looked at this teenager and saw him and said, young man, y'all think I get crazy. Looked at him and said, young man, you look miserable. I couldn't read this story without laughing. Because oh, how I could say that a few. Young man, you look miserable. And that 13-year-old boy responded to the message Look to me and be saved. From a not quite up to par preacher filling in, but saying, look to Jesus and be saved. And a 13-year-old Charles Haddon Spurgeon got saved. When he was told, look to me and be saved. 
We can overcomplicate the Bible, we can overcomplicate the gospel, but the reality is we're to tell people, look to Jesus. It's the only way you can be saved, is to look to him. We see the message of eternal life, and I don't want us to miss this, the motivation of love. What would cause God to do this? And we see it in John 3.16. I know there's been two hours of preaching in John 3.16. I won't do it justice, but let's just roll with it. I believe John 3.16 is most possibly the clearest demonstration of the love of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him, whoever looks to him, should not perish, die, but have everlasting life. I certainly will not expound on this one verse because that would take up all of the time. But I want us to look at it in the context of what Jesus just taught Nicodemus. Simply look to Jesus. He teaches this lesson. Nicodemus, no doubt, is going, I got you. I remember that. And then he says, why God did it. For God so loved the world. God loved the world so much that he didn't just say, sin's here, you get bit, you're going to hell. No, he made a way for man to live everlasting life. There's a lot of conversation today and you don't have to look very far on YouTube and Instagram and all these avenues. Quite honestly, to see preachers that I've read behind and look up say some things that I don't really like to hear them say. And they, they and I, I might get in trouble with some scholars around here, but um, You'll, you'll never hear me talk about God hating anyone. I know you say, well, that's so obvious. Uh, but that, maybe you just don't, don't get in the world I'm in. Let me just say that. Don't watch the things I watch. And, and I understand what they're saying. Just like I understand a lot of things that I don't think is worth talking about and arguing about. I understand why they're saying it. But the message that we have for the world is John 3, 16, that God loves you so much that if you trust in his son Jesus for salvation, you'll be saved. That's the message. We, we live in a messed up, sin-cursed, backward, spiraling world where hatred is everywhere, division is everywhere. The world needs to hear God loves them. We don't preach hell without preaching there's a way to avoid it. When you go to some churches and hoop and holler and scream and yell about the world going to hell, and it's like it's a celebration. The world's going to hell. It's like well, somehow you know, God's going to get them back. Oh, God will judge the world one day. He will judge the unrepentant one day. But until that day, his offer of salvation is readily available because God 
so loves the world that he made a way. He sent Jesus. He was motivated by love. Paul talked about this love and no need to preach this out. I did it already on Wednesday night, but that Paul was convinced, and if anybody thought they didn't deserve the love and grace and mercy and salvation of God, it was Paul. And Paul says, I'm convinced that nothing can separate me from the love of God. Nothing. He goes through a litany of possibilities, and he fin finishes and says, no, nah, nothing can separate me from the love of God. The reality is, church, God is love. He's not just uh, a, a loving God. He is love, John says. For God is love. It's who he is. And Paul also said, and I hope you know this verse of scripture, but God who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sin, has quickened us, brought us to life with Christ, for by grace are you saved. The Bible says, while we were yet sinners, God demonstrated, he showed his love toward us. So while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Do you hear the first part of that verse? But God demonstrated his love for us. We see in this message and the motivation that God loves the world, but we also see in John 3 here in verse 17, the reality that not only does God love the world or the love of God, we see that the world is condemned. And if I preached the love of God and lift him up, but omitted verses 17 and 18, I would not be very worthy as a preacher of the gospel. He says that God loved the world so much that he gave Jesus that whoever believes in him, that's important, and he follows it up by saying, for, for is connected to verse, 13, verse 16, for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Now that seems pretty obvious if 16 is tied to verse 17. God loves the world, he provided salvation for the world because he didn't come to condemn the world. Yes, Jesus will be judge one day. But when he came to earth, he didn't come to execute judgment. He came to save. Here's what we need to see in verse 18. Don't miss this. This is part of the gospel that maybe you here today need to hear, but certainly someone you talk to about the gospel needs to hear. Verse 18 says, after he says that God didn't send Jesus to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved, he says, because he that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. This is important. Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. The person who has not looked to Christ for salvation is condemned already. Jesus didn't come and say, condemn, save, condemn, save. The world was condemned already. The world, for by sin entered into the world by one man, Adam, Death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. 
That word condemned is a strong word. It's not like put to shame. It means it's done. It's a verdict. It's a word for verdict. And here's something I read, and I hope you don't forget this. The world is not on trial right now. The world is already condemned. The antichrist system of this world is condemned. For God sent his son not into the world condemned, but the world through him might be saved. He that believes on him is not condemned, but he that believes not is condemned already. Verse 19, I won't get to this, but verse 19 says, and this is the condemnation. It speaks of present tense condemnation. This is the example to prove that the world is condemned already. So that sounds like bad news. It is. That's why we have good news. Good news gets really good when you understand the bad news. We've got a message of good news. But I still believe, as much as I'm standing here, the, one of the greatest hurdles of the world understanding the necessity of salvation is not knowing the bad news. The world's condemned already. The judgment has been made on the world from the beginning. People sitting in this room today who are saved and on their way to heaven were once condemned. And you, you saw the Holy Spirit convicted through the word of God, that you're condemned and you need to be saved. Nobody ever got saved without understanding they were lost. Nobody ever accepts the good news till they understand the bad news. And the more we study, the more we grow, the more we go to church together and hang out together and pray together and study the word of God together, the more we understand the blessing of being Saved from condemnation. Final verdict. It's already done. And he says, the world is condemned, but God demonstrated his love. While we were yet sinners and condemned, Christ died for us. To every person that was being bitten by the snake were condemned. There, there's much more to unfold there. Uh, the, the snakes weren't playing favorites. And it was happening to everybody. And there were people falling out. Not waking up, they were dying. And that's exactly what's happening today. It's what's been happening since Adam and Eve. The sting of sin is death. And every person that you know Every person that I know who's never looked to Jesus will die from the sting of death. Every person that we know, listen, let this get personal, in our family that we work with and friends that have never looked to Jesus are living in a condemned state. They draw their last breath. They're not on trial. The verdict has already been reached. They meet Jesus unprepared. 
He's not up there putting them on trial. The verdict has already been reached. That's why the gospel is necessary. That we preach, you don't have to be condemned. You can be saved. And what you've got to do is look to the answer on the cross. That he who knew no sin, God in the flesh, perfect, sinless Savior Jesus became sin for us. He became the snake on the banner. And the snake on the banner died. Sin died. That you and I who look to him can be made righteous as he is. We never look at the cross without seeing God loving the world. Never look at the necessity of salvation without the ability to be saved and not look at the love and the grace and the mercy of God. What kind of God would say you must be born again and not allow you to be born again? Only a God of love and grace, y'all heard this yet, and mercy would say you must be born again and you can be born again. The question is, are you born again? Would you pray with me? God, I know this has been A little simple, pretty obvious to many people who have been in church. But I pray today if there's a person listening to this message who doesn't know for sure that they're born again, God, the message is clear. The message really is simple. I pray today your Holy Spirit would convict them and they would see their need to be saved. That they would see and understand that they're not condemned because of the lifestyle they're living right now. They're condemned because they've been condemned from the beginning, because they're not born again. They've never looked to you for salvation. God, we've messed it up, even in the church. God, we understand that we were born separated from you, condemned. The verdict had been reached. And the only way to not be condemned was to trust in you. See ourselves as you see us, dead in sin and trespasses and in need of salvation. And I pray if there's a person here today, they need to look to you by faith, believing your word, not my word, but your word, that if you look, you live. Look in faith to the answer for sin. Before we sing, I want to quote a scripture for you. We were here this past Wednesday in Romans chapter 10. Paul says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and shall believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Thought about that and thought about this idea of looking to him. What does it mean to look to him? What does it mean to, in verse 13 of Romans 10, to whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved? It means to believe in Jesus. Believe everything the Bible says about him, who he is. He is God. He was God in the flesh, incarnation. He was perfect. He was sinless. 
never committed one sin according to scripture but he became the savior by taking your place and my place and becoming sin on the cross dying a substitutionary death for whoever trusts in him the picture is clear he's been raised up the world has been bitten by the sting of sin and the sting of sin is death and everybody will die and everybody who never accepts or never looks in faith to the Jesus on the banner will die and the Bible says you will go to hell separated from God forever what a tragedy that people would go to a Baptist church or even a Christian church week after week crosses all around the gospel being preached lifting up Jesus and deny him and die in their sins and be separated from him forever it doesn't have to be that way you believe you trust you confess to Jesus on the cross accept him as your payment for your sin you don't have to die condemned you can die with confidence knowing that you have everlasting life and one thing before we sing if that's you today I know this sounds pretty evangelistic but if it's you today look to him if you're sitting there you're saying Holy Spirit's maybe speaking to you saying you know you've never been born again you've never been saved You've never looked to Jesus truly, genuinely for your salvation. That's the Holy Spirit speaking to you. That's not my convincing. I don't have that power. And if that's you and the humility of your heart, would you, would you call on him? Say, God, I, I believe the message of your word that you are the only way. I believe the message of your word that I am condemned and in my sins and apart from you, I am lost and headed for hell. But today I look to you I look to Jesus on the cross paid my sin debt and I believe it by faith I believe the scripture is clear you do that you pass from death to life that means you're born again thank you for listening today if you'd like to know more about Central Baptist Church events and ministries please visit our webpage at cbckannapolis.com